And Dominion Fire 360 is on my churchies. Million here with you. M-I-L-L-I-A-N. I am your ministry provocateur, iconoclast, firebrand, and the resident heretic here at Dominion Fire. It is always a pleasure to have you here, and we are reviving the Dominion Fire 360 after a little bit of a hiatus. And in this time period, if you've listened to the most recent Heal the Sick podcast, we have built a new little studio for podcasting and live streaming specifically, as well as new equipment, new microphones. So hopefully we're sounding good out there. And uh, all that, of course, is found at DominionFire.com. So make sure you check it out and just see how we're progressing along, trying to get these things back up and running. So on Dominion Fire 360, as you know, we kind of talk uh, freestyle, whatever topics come up. And my guest today is someone I had the opportunity to meet uh, about a month or so ago. And uh, we were part of a live stream and we had a chance to speak briefly and I wanted to get to know her a little better. And so I invited her on the pre-show, which you'll find on our social media and website. And now we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of this stuff. Joining me today from a ministry called Together in the Harvest. She is an evangelist. She is the wife of the late Steve Hill, who you may have heard of from the Brownsville Revival, Pensacola Outpouring Revivals of uh, 1990s. Joining me by phone from Central Florida, where I'm, I'm jealous because I'm sure the weather's lovely and you have Disneyland, is Jerry Hill. Jerry, welcome to Dominion Fire 360. How are you, dear? I am doing good. And just to clarify, um, it's not Disneyland. It's oh, Disney World. that's right. I'm, I'm on the <laughs> West Coast, so it's Disneyland for us. Yes, yes. Jerry, what's going on in your corner of the world? How are you today? Everything good? Yes, we're doing really good. Um, you know, in the middle of all of this um, COVID-19 stuff, it's good to see things um, opening back up, and here in Florida anyway, and we're at phase three opening up, and the schools are starting on the 24th of this month, and um, churches have been going, and from what I understand, there are certain states that they still have them closed down, and... Uh, but here in Florida, churches are open and schools are opening. And um, so moving forward, actually moving forward, it's good. Tell me about Together in the Harvest. What is the ministry and what do you do? Together in the Harvest is something that Steve and I started in 92 when we came back from Argentina. We had been missionaries over there for 12 years or not just in Argentina for 12 years, but we've been missionaries for 12 years in different, different countries. And we started together in the harvest as an entity separate from missions. And so it was real small, you know, just stepping out in 92. And then um, when the revival broke out at Brownsville, Steve had been traveling to different countries, and I traveled. Um, I've been to 60 different countries and ministered in, well, alongside Steve. And then since he's gone home to be with the Lord, I've been ministering in different countries since then. And I would imagine he had been in 100 different countries because I didn't go to every single one of them with him. And so together in the harvest is every person who is backing us, we're a part of it. Um, we all did it together and it was a team. We made everyone feel like they were welcome to go on any trip, um, to be a part of the ministry. And it wasn't just a, a one man show. And that's why 
um, when the revival broke out, they told him they, you know, they needed he needed to put his name on the ministry, Steve Hill Ministries, and it became a DBA of Together in the Harvest, which was under the 501c3 Together in the Harvest. And they said it was because people are familiar with names. And so he did that. And But then when he uh, went home to be with the Lord, which I like to say that he entered into the fullness of God's presence, you know, that um, no longer here, he's in his presence totally. And so I continued on. I was the vice president of Together in the Harvest. And um, the board voted me in as uh, to take it over as president. And it wasn't going to look exactly the same as what it was, because Steve was definitely, um, God put him out there. It wasn't, he, um, I never once heard him say, I am going to be an evangelist. Uh, it was, God made it happen. And you know, saw his burden, saw his passion, saw that I was behind it and 100% with it. And God just made it happen. It wasn't anything we went after. Um, We wanted to see people come to know the Lord, and it all fell into place. Um, And does that mean everything was hunky-dory and everything was wonderful all the time? We had to work through things. We had to work through challenges. And whenever you're dealing with people, you're dealing with so many different aspects of life. And you're dealing with um, just everything that's involved in it. And you have to take it one day at a time. It's not like it explodes all at one time. Um, You take it one day at a time to see it um, develop into what God wants it to be in whatever aspect it is. We were pleased with what God wanted to do, wanted to be vessels. One of the things I was particularly intrigued about with meeting you and learning about your history and background was um, that in the times I've, I've studied history in Christianity and I've always heard about different revivals and breakouts and things like that. And this whole thing that you put together led into what is called the Brownsville Revival. Some call it the Pensacola Outpouring, the Father's Day Outpouring, several different titles for it. So one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you a little bit about this is because, as we said on the uh, pre-show live stream that we did, a lot of people have comments and opinions about revivals and things. But unless you're actually there, which clearly you were and you went through it, um, it's, a, it's a whole different and unique experience. So how did you pivot from where you started that? Uh, I think you said 92. And I think the revival started about 95, if I remember correctly. So how did we pivot from that into that, uh, the, the outpouring section of it? And how did that all come together? Give us some insight on on what that time was like as well, please. From 92 to 95, Steve's um, title, we were with the Division of Foreign Missions with the Assemblies of God, and his title was Missionary Evangelist. So he went into multiple different countries, went into Russia. We lived in Spain and we lived in Russia during that time, but he went to um, multiple different countries, the Canary Islands, he went into Portugal, um, so many different countries. But going back and forth, he would be traveling and speaking in different churches. 
raising funds for the missions projects and things that he was doing. And so um, one day he called John Kilpatrick, the pastor of Brownsville, which we were West Florida missionaries. And so West Florida was part of um, where Brownsville was in Pensacola that was in that district. So that was one of the churches, you know, that he would travel and speak in. But um, after being on the mission field and and everything and seeing it, it just intensified. Um, God was intensifying everything. And so he had called uh, John one day and was talking to him about um, the fire that was happening in him. And in 91, he had been praying, and I heard him in there praying. And, and he said, God, I don't want to do this, do this in my own strength. I want you to do it through me. And, you know, he was desiring more, more that it was less of him, but more of God flowing through him. And when I heard him pray that prayer, I said, yes, God, do it, Jesus. Do it, Lord. Do it through him, Jesus. And so when going to different churches, God was coming down in all the different churches that Steve went to to preach. Things were happening. And he was telling this to John Kilpatrick. He said, God touched me in in London. He went to Sandy Miller's church there, Holy Trinity Brompton. He went to Toronto to one of the their services up there. He had been prayed for by other ministers. And he was sharing with John Kilpatrick what was happening in the different services that he was going in and preaching, how God was moving. And he said, well, Steve, I'd like for you to come preach. And he said, I am going to be in the Czech Republic. He was telling all the different countries he was going to. And he says, I don't see anything open but Father's Day. And he says, I'm pretty sure you don't want me on Father's Day. And he goes, yes, yes, I do. I want you to come on Father's Day. And so Steve went there that weekend. And before he left, I said, you know, the pastor's going to ask you to stay and preach longer. He goes, nope, we're going to, we had planned on going on vacation the day after he came back from speaking at Brownsville. And he called me that Sunday afternoon, and but before he left, he said, no, I'm coming back, and we're going on vacation before I go to the Czech Republic. And I said, well, I just know, I, in my spirit, I really feel like the pastor's going to ask you to stay. And at 4 o'clock on that Sunday afternoon, Steve called me, and he said, honey, all heaven came and pastor is asking if you'll fly in, and that would be flying in with my three kids, seven-year-old, four-year-old, and a three-week-old. And so I said, oh, he's going to ask you And so he said, we'll take a vacation that week, and I'll preach every night. I go, okay. <laughs> I was always a yes girl. Yes, whatever you want to do, God. Whatever you want to do, yes. And so I flew in the next day, and we ended up staying for five years. And that first year, moving nine times because we didn't know how long we were going to be staying. So we would stay in vacation-type homes and hotels and people's homes. They'd let us rent a, uh, their house for 
a few months because we just didn't know how long we were going to be there. And But we were open to whatever God wanted to do. Well, prior to that, God had been moving in all the different churches that he had been in. But I think the difference at Brownsville was that for two and a half years, they had been praying for revival. And in order for everybody there to be willing to be at church every single night, to be ushering people there for people to be on the prayer team, to be in the choir, um, which they don't have a whole lot of choirs anymore, but back then they did. And people were willing to put their lives on hold. And that meant um, sacrifices on everybody's part, not just on our part, but it was a sacrifice on the pastor to give up his pulpit. And I think that because we had been working with churches and um, evangelizing areas and, and starting churches in different countries, and we were used to being able to say to the people, that's your pastor, we're here to evangelize. And so we knew how to direct the people to the pastor and not take that position. And so people knew who their pastor was, and these people were following their pastor, and their pastor said it was of God, and they jumped in 100%, and they were there every night as well. And when people came, started coming, the church held 2,500, and there would be sometimes... 7,000 people on on the property. They would have tents put up. They had another sanctuary. Their first sanctuary seated, I think, 1,000. It was full. They would have a tent up. Then the main sanctuary had 2,500. Then they built another building for 2,500. And so at the peak of it, there would be 7,000 people there. And it was just an amazing time. And when people ask me if I could use one word to describe it, it would be God. It was all about God. And he was the one that was doing everything. And he was giving strength to every single person. He was giving strength to those who were leading worship, Lyndall Cooley and his team. And he was giving strength to the pastoral staff, the pastor, because they had to work all day long, plus be in services every single night. They wanted this. And Steve had to prepare a message, every a brand new message every single day. And he was willing to do that. And it wasn't just us, but it was everybody there who was, um, they wanted to be a vessel that God used. Um, every single person on the prayer team, it was honestly electric. Um, the presence of God and the power of God, it was, there was, it was ignited. And he was into setting people on fire and spreading them all across the world. And they would go back to their countries and take it back to their, their churches. It was an amazing time. Whenever I hear about Brownsville specifically, the term that always comes up is repentance and holiness. Those are the the two terms I hear a lot. Do you feel that's an accurate summarization of it, or 
I would imagine it went way deeper than that since you have like an, an insider perspective. How accurate is that? It was definitely repentance. People who were away from God came and got right with God. And God was burning out things out of people's lives. And whether they were hurts, whether they were beaten as children, whether they're, whatever took place in their life, whatever they had done personally, um, we were seeing people set free from so many um, sinful things that they were involved in. And God was taking their lives and making them holy, bringing them up to a, a whole new standard. And people were so hungry to know him. And there was weeping going on. There was um, people that did get set free. Some people would be laughing in another corner. Um, it was so individual. What every individual person needed God was there to do that mighty work in each one of their lives. And to watch it happen, to hear the testimonies of people's lives that were touched and changed, if anybody had anything negative to say about anything that was going on, it was because, number one, they never came. So they were going according to what they heard from somebody else. Or they came and they never got touched by God. Because we can say no to God. We can say we don't want to be touched by him. We don't want to be changed. And one person came in. It was the craziest thing. Um, he was mocking God and what was happening. And as soon as it, he got, I think he went outside the church and got in his car. And when he got in the car... God started shaking him and he fell out of the car onto the pavement and God spoke to him and he said, do not mock me. And oh it was, yeah. <laughs> okay. I just got a whole bunch of chills when you said that. <laughs> well, it was a pastor that this happened to who was mocking what was going on. And then that happened, but God did so many individual things in people's lives and he didn't do that in every single person but he did that in that person's life because that's what he was doing. And I've had God do that to me where I would, I did something and he said, I will not have you defile my house. And it was something I did before I was a Christian, before I was ever saved. And he showed me his power even before I got saved. And um, it was you know, it was something I did in the church. And it was, a, it wasn't even a church I was really going to. It was a, I was confirmed in this church, um, was going there for about four months because my mom wanted me to be confirmed, but we were not church goers. And he is into showing his power. He is into doing, um, and showing us exactly what we need to show how powerful he is to us. And that's what he did to that pastor. Did the pastor come back at that point or? Oh yes. Oh yes. And Steve from that did a message called God mockers and used that story in his, um, in his message. And that pastor, he, it, it shook him. It, 
incredible in an incredible way. And so I love how God can take a person and show his power like that. And it was an amazing thing. One time Steve was preaching and he said, you came into this world alone and you will leave alone. And there were two girls up in the balcony and they were twins and they turned to each other and they said, we came in together. And he goes, even if you're twins, and this was somebody talking, you know, up in the balcony and he's on the platform. But it was said right at the time that they were saying that as twins up in the balcony, that things like that, that's how personal God was. And honestly, that's how personal God is, not just was, he is still doing it today. And he is into making himself real. He really is. So we hear about with revivals that they have like usually a set period or a number of years. But what we were talking about earlier is that people would ask you, well, why did it end if it was powerful in doing all this? And to which you said that it's not so much that it ended as much as it changed form and sort of reinvented itself, which is how fire operates. And you had also mentioned that fire was a topic you wanted to get into. So as you were seeing all this stuff and as this time developed and just all these crazy moves going on, how did it, I don't want to say the end of it, but as it was like, I guess, uh, transforming and into something different, how did that sort of wind down into the new movements and the new fire and then just kind of break down the whole concept of fire force? Right towards the latter part of the, of 99, we started seeing less people coming. And during that time, Steve, well, for four years, he didn't travel overseas at all. And in 99, he went to Austria and he did a, met, um, a meeting with Reinhard Bonnke. And then he did, we went, to, he and I went to Japan. And it was those two trips in 99 that he knew that he was supposed to begin um, traveling and going to the nations again. He saw the hunger. And in 99 here in the States, it was, it seemed like there were, there, not seemed like, there was less people coming. And so there were a lot of people being trained up in the Bible school, and there were the church family that was there in Pensacola, but we weren't having as many people traveling there to Pensacola in 99. And so when we went to these two trips overseas, Steve was saying, I, because he was seeing this hunger, and it would be cheaper to have, you know, a small team travel to different countries and minister to large groups. And God spoke to him and told him that it was time to um, go back to the nations. And so that's why his part of it um, shifted. But the people that went through the school of ministry there, they got so on fire and they were spreading it. And that's what fire does. It spreads. And so if different lives get caught on fire, and then they go back. The pastors that came there, one particular pastor came, and he didn't feel anything at all. And he gets to his church, and he stands up to pray over the offering, and he said that it, the, everybody in the church fell to the ground. And he didn't feel like he had had anything happen to him. 
but they were taking it. The fire from that one location was being carried back to another location because God did not want it to be confined in one place. He wanted it to spread. That's my, my feeling on it, is that he wanted it to spread. And when people were in Bible school and they were getting on fire and they were going to different nations, there's different evangelists that are going all over uh, Africa. There, there's a um, school of ministries in the Philippines. There's people that just went everywhere all around the world and their base, their foundation in their lives came from being set on fire at Brownsville. And then they became carriers of that fire and spreading it to other people. And the key thing, though, that fire, sometimes we can get disillusioned. And it, you know how you're watching a fire burn in your fireplace or you're out camping and you have a fire going? In order to keep it going, you've got to continue to add wood to the fire. Otherwise, it can get cold. It can get lukewarm. But we have to keep it on burning inside of us. And if we get lukewarm, then that's a sad place to be in. God wants us to be on fire for him. He wants us to be able to spread this to other people and people that are without hope. He wants us to spread that fire to somebody who has lost everything spiritually. And to me, revival is individual. It is, even when at Brownsville, when it was a huge meeting, the things that were happening in people's lives, it was individual. And individual lives were set on fire. When they got set on fire, God dealt with things in their lives, and he burned out the dross. He consumed it, and then he consumed them. And we need to let God consume us. And that we're not here on this earth to um, please ourselves, to do everything that we want to do, but we're here to please him and do everything that he wants us to do. We're on a mission, and we've got, and it's God's mission, whatever God wants to do. Would I have loved to have stayed in that atmosphere all the time? Absolutely. But then when you moved on from that, you knew that you were still a carrier of the presence of God and the fire of God. And when I meet up with people, it's not all about just coming to Jesus. It's about letting Jesus consume them. And that's what fire is supposed to do. There's a spark that happens that we cannot let go out. We have to keep fueling it so that we are impactful in when we share with other people. And even though we go through trials and tribulations and we go through things in life, that, that particular uh, trial sometimes can cause our fire to go out and we can't let that happen. We have to keep going after him. We have to keep seeking him and we have to stay in his word. Let it become alive to you and let it, um, be what rules us. I don't like um, going by people's opinions. I like going according to God's opinion in everything. And 
you know, I, I, I just want to see everybody have that and be so set ablaze for him that it's touching somebody else. And it might be small scale. Um, I know that when we first got saved, every single little tiny thing we did was important to God when we were doing it for him. And we, we do it as unto the Lord. And so carrying it all the way through, even when, you know, Steve was going through a cancer uh, battle, he didn't let that extinguish his fire for God. And would, we, would I have loved to have seen my prayers answered where the thousands of people that were praying for him, that he miraculously would be healed? Oh, my goodness. I would remind God all the time and tell him, you know, do you realize how much of an impact this will make on people's lives if he gets healed? You know, and God already knew that. But it was a selfish prayer on my part because I didn't want to let him go. But we still, even in the midst of that in the past six years, I didn't want to let that extinguish my fire for God because just because he didn't answer the prayer the way that I wanted it to be answered. Does that make sense? It makes incredible sense simply because just like with these uh, series of podcasts and recordings and things that I'm doing, uh, being in ministry will wear you down. Uh, it'll get you very discouraged at times. It'll get you very disappointed at times. And I've had a thing where it's just been down to the, like a couple little burning embers, but at least there's something there. <laughs> and uh, I know exactly what you're talking about because uh, we all struggle with that. You do. I do. Everybody, everybody in any kind of ministry. And it's it's all of us. And and which sort of pivots into my question that I was going to ask you is that if you get to this place where, you know, you're totally beaten up on, you've had enough, you know, you get to that level, the fire's down real low. How do you get it back up again? You were saying it's important to keep it going, but what what's the practical step on how to get reignited? That's really good because when I was, when Steve went home to be with the Lord and then seven months later, I lost my son and I'm sitting out on this balcony and I'm contemplating everything that took place and everything that had happened. And I felt like the rug had been pulled out from underneath me. And I said, I didn't say why, because I know the why in things. God wants to work in me. God wants me to bring, you know, use whatever to bring me close to him. God wants to use um, whatever I'm going through in Corinthians when it says the same comfort that comforts me, I can comfort someone else. And I said, I didn't say why. I said, what is this all about? And I heard him say to me, it's going to be the wind in your sails. And I remember saying, how can it be the wind in my sails when right now my sail is down? When you're down and you're sad about a situation, sad that I'd lost my husband, sad that I'd lost my son, and I, you felt like, I felt like everything had just been stripped out from underneath me. And I realized at that point that for that wind 
to be in my sail. I would have to hoist my sail back up. It wasn't going to go up by itself. I had to hoist it back up. And, you know, I don't, I've never been sailing before, but I know that it takes, I've watched people do it like on a show or something. And it takes a lot of work to bring that sail up and to be, to get it in the wind so that, you know, they can be moved through with the wind behind it. And it's just like with our flame and the embers, we need, sometimes you have to blow wind on those embers to make them, you know, come back. And you, but we have to stoke it with more um, lumber and, you know, particles and things that'll burn easily to get it going again and blow some wind on it. And it, we can't just sit back and um, let it take its course. We've got to do our part. I knew that I had to do my part and I had to get into the word of God and I had to um, let the word of God refresh me and strengthen me. And as I prayed and I, you know, I'd play music, Christian music and get into the presence of God, but I could get into the presence of God without the music. I had to enter in. The, the Bible says that if we seek him, we will find him. If we search for him with all of our heart, we cannot hold back. And it's so easy when we feel beaten down, but we've, we've got to lift ourselves up. We've got to do it. We've got to put some effort into this. And when that happened, and I started to lift the sails, and sometimes I'd be overtaken with grief, and I'd be crying and weeping. And God spoke to me again, and he said, turn your tears of loss into tears for the lost. And that's what shifted for me, that whenever I started crying, that of all the things that had taken place, the six-year cancer battle, was that fun? No. Was it fun to watch somebody suffer through something, somebody that I intensely loved and watching my son go through what he went through? This was not easy. And when you feel like it's just, I don't know, throwing you to the ground and you still have to get back up, there's even a thought in your mind that if you don't cry long enough, for that, that you didn't really care. But that's not true. When I started, every single time I would cry of loss, and I turned it around and I'd, say, and I'd start crying and weeping for people who were lost, because that was definitely God's heartbeat. And my mom shared a story one time, and she said, I'll never waste my tears on an onion. When she would cut an onion and it would cause her eyes to water, she would start praying for everybody that was on her list that needed a touch from Jesus. And so when she shared that with me, it was the same thing here. Whenever I would cry for, you know, to grieve, there's one thing that's grief. And then there's another one to let grief overtake you. And I decided I was going to 
because God spoke to me and God told me this, that I had to do it. But I think it benefits me telling somebody else that has gone through it as well. And so I just didn't waste my tears. I use it for something that's alive today, for somebody who is alive today that needs Jesus. And so I pray for ministries. I pray for evangelists. I pray for pastors. When I go into these different places, even right now, it's really hard for me to not weep for pastors to be um, touched by God and really carry a burden for their, their flock because there's so many that are out there that are um, hurting, they're lost, and they need Jesus, and they need that hope that that pastor has to give. And so I pray for their strength. I pray just like, you know, praying for Moses, you know, lifting their arms. And uh, and I have people get in touch with me from different countries, and um, they want a touch from God. And boy, you just want to open up, peel back heaven and watch it just flood in because that's how real it is. And, um, but I want it for everybody. I want everybody to experience it, experience the, the presence of God, the fire of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, all of it. But you are so right. People are hurting. <laughs> So for someone that may hear this broadcast that maybe either let's say the fire has gone out or maybe they never had the fire, maybe they're they're searching since evangelism is sort of your wheelhouse with a lot of this. And given everything that's going on in the world, it's very easy to lose hope and just be balled up in a corner. (laughs) It really is right now. What message could you give to the world for hope? Like what you've been through a lot, you've clearly overcome, you're clearly still going. Um, what would be the message as of right now that people need to know and, and how to pick themselves up and dust themselves off and get in the game here? Mostly to know that God is really real. You know, because even I have people write me who, you know, everything seems to be going wrong. And even when everything is going wrong and that every, you, ha, you have fallen down in the dirt, you've fallen away from God, or maybe you've never come to him, he is so intensely real, and he wants to know you. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to open up your life and say, okay. God, have your way. Have your way in me. I want to know you. I want to spend time with you. And show me how to get into your word. Bring it alive to me. Tell him exactly what it is that is going on inside of you. Because he already knows it. But start having a conversation with him. And lay it all in the altar and give it all to him, let him have his way, and you will never regret letting God have his way in you. And he will meet you right where you are. But he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants you to go after him and desire everything that he has to offer. And he will give it to you. The key is say yes, And then secondly, 
go after it. Seek it and you will find it. Just go after it with all your heart, soul, and strength. Do not give up and you will receive from him. And, but it's, it is up to us to say yes and throw down. I love the scripture. It says casting down every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So don't go according to the world standard, their opinion, go according to God's opinion and strive for it. Go after it with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's my main message. So if you don't know Jesus right now, I would love for you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I don't know you, but I want to know you. Come into my heart. Wash me clean. Set me free from all the bondages of sin. And be the Lord of my life. And make me brand new. Wash me clean through everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love it. And he will come in. He will do a mighty work in you. You'd say that to him every single day. And you will have a relationship with him. And he will speak to you, especially through his word. But be looking for it, looking for him to speak to you every day. Jerry, if people would like to find out more, connect up with you, learn about your ministry and and everything that you're involved in, what is the best way to contact you? Uh, Website, social media, how do people find you? Well, I am on social media. Um, There's Jerry Hill Ministries. I have um, Together in the Harvest, these are their Facebook and um, togetherintheharvest.com is our website. And under Together in the Harvest, there'll be prodigals only. There'll be a message there to somebody who's been away from God, once knew him, can come back to him. Then if you're just now meeting him, we have seriousaboutgod.net, um, where you get an email every day and helping you to growing God. We have legacy videos. We have um, everything that you can find on togetherintheharvest.com. And we also help people get into programs. Um, Ryan's Hope, you'll see everything on there. And we are so into helping people become what God designed for you to be. And that's in relationship with him, first and foremost. And everything else falls into place. All right, listeners, there you have it. And again, Jerry Hill from Together in the Harvest joining us today from Central Florida. Jerry, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate uh, immensely your time and getting to know you a little bit. And listeners, make sure anytime for this program, anything else that we do, visit our website at www.dominionfire.com. Uh, you can email uh, podcast at dominionfire.com if you have any feedback or messages you would like to send in. If uh, any trouble reaching Jerry, you're welcome to message me, and I'll be happy to um, pass that on to you as well. And uh, that's at facebook.com forward slash dominionfire is where you'd find uh, the Facebook and all the other socials. But anytime you're in doubt, just go to dominionfire.com, and that's uh, central headquarters for everything that we do here. 
Thank you for being here. Appreciate your time. And as we always say at our ministry, boom, goes Yeshua. And we'll see you guys next time.